And uh, good to be with you again and to, uh, to speak and to uh, just share some thoughts with you as we continue our series on prayer. And uh, the topic for today is the, uh, the real prayer busters. Um, the real prayer busters. It's not up there, but uh, if you're taking notes, that's what you can give it as the topic. The real prayer busters. Not the fake ones, the real ones. Um, I guess as the weather warms up, our minds start to turn to things like uh, getting rid of the, uh, the winter anemic tan or uh, shedding a few kilos that we've put on to sort of uh, help us hibernate and get through the gloom and uh, cold of winter. And uh, we start to think about what can we do, what can we do. It's just that kind of feel, isn't it, as the weather warms up. And uh, I don't know whether your thinking is outside, you know, some sort of sport or activity or barbecue with friends because it's pleasant to be outside this time of the year. Um, Or um, perhaps it's more indoor things that you enjoy doing, Um, movies, reading, music, uh, tinkering in the garage, that kind of stuff. But it's a time of the year where we enjoy that. But whatever it is that we like to do, Um, with our activities and in our spare time and so forth, there's often busters, blockers, things that prevent us from doing those things. Now, it could be that we're planning a a picnic and a barbecue with friends and the weather doesn't cooperate. Um, It's a bit of a buster. Or it could be that um, uh, we're wanting to do something with friends but they're not available at this time. Um, Or it could be that work is too busy and we can't fit something in. Um, or it could be that uh, whatever we want to do costs money and things are a little bit tight this pay week. But uh, there's always things that um, work against us and uh, are busters. And it's the same too for prayer. I think whether prayer is something that we desperately want to do or something we feel we should do, um, there are busters. Now, uh, we could easily list dozens of prayer busters. It wouldn't be too hard to do. We could say, well... I'm just forgetful, you know, I just don't, don't think to do that. I don't think to have time in prayer or perhaps um, family commitments are so busy at the moment, there's just absolutely no time and if there is time, I'm just so tired, I don't really have time to think. Um, perhaps you feel discouraged because uh, I have been praying and nothing's happening. Um, so there's all these kind of busters. The Bible says though in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. We'll never stop praying. And if there's these things that prevent us from praying, these prayer busters, how do we do that? The Greek for that word ceasing is continuous action. Make prayer a continuous action. The prayer is an attitude of God consciousness, God surrender that we should carry with us all of the time. Every waking moment we should be aware that the living God is with us and actively engaged in our thoughts and in our actions. I I suppose prayer is like breathing. We just breathe without thinking about it. It's just something that we do naturally. And when life gets a bit tough or we're exerting ourselves and there's extra pressure, then our breathing rate increases as well, just automatically. And that can be how prayer is. But I think far too often, prayer is more like holding our breath. And then we gasp in and grab a quick prayer when we have to and then hold our breath again. I guess instead of thinking pray without ceasing, I'd like to flip that verse around a little bit. And I don't know whether this is um, being like a heretic or something when you sort of do this kind of thing. But forgive me. Um, Instead of pray without ceasing, I like to consider it 
never cease being a person who prays. Never cease being a person who prays so that we always have that attitude of prayer, that natural part of life, just like breathing in and breathing out. I guess it could be uh, like, uh, like uh, this for an example. Um, my wife and I, Jane and I, celebrated our wedding anniversary this week. And over all of that time, I've never ceased to be a married man. Now, Jane is not with me all the time. Actually, she's unwell at home today. So it's not as though I'm with her every minute of the day, but I'm married every minute of the day. Um, I don't talk with her every minute of the day. You know, we might find ways of sending little text messages or communicating during the day. Um, and I might be thinking, oh, I must let Jane know about that. Or that's something I'd like to talk over with her. Um, I like to flick her a text when I'm leaving work just as a courtesy so she knows I'm on the way and can have my dinner on the table for me. (laughs) If she was here, I probably wouldn't have said that. (laughs) I mean, so I can stop at the supermarket and get groceries on the way home if I need. I like to think about how we can spend the weekend. You know, it's it's a lovely weekend. Are we going to get out for a walk or, um, you know just having time to talk with her in the evening and debrief over the day. So I'm not always there with her face to face, but I'm always in the attitude and, um, and the thinking of being a married man. And I think that's what prayer can be like, that we have this relationship with God and we just continue that attitude. I'm a person who prays. I'm a person who's in a relationship with God. And our thoughts and our thinking can be like that. The Bible's full of teaching about prayer, but it's not just teaching about prayer, this is what prayer means, this is what prayer is like, often it's compelling us to pray, compelling us to pray. It's our direct connection with God. So if it's so important, why don't we do it more often? What are the busters? What are the prayer busters? Now I mentioned some before, such as time and other commitments, but I don't think they are the real busters. I think they're just excuses and symptomatic of the real busters. We'll turn to the Bible and have a look and see what the real busters are. But before we read the Bible verse, um, I was reading um, uh, some uh, writings by a person called John R. W. Stott. Um, He only passed away in 2011. He was an uh, Englishman, a Christian leader, um, an Anglican cleric, and was noted as the leader of the evangelical movement. So this is a little aside to the message, but it's about Bible reading. Can we have that quote on the board? Thanks, the board. No, it's not school. On the screen, please. (laughs) This quote says, We must allow the word of God to confront us, to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency, to overthrow our patterns of thought and behaviour. Have you ever thought of reading the Bible in that way, allowing us to confront, to disturb, to undermine, to overthrow, to change our patterns of thought and behaviour? That's a very challenging kind of a thing, isn't it? So we're not reading the Bible for a pat on the back this morning. Good job, well done, faithful servant. Sometimes we need that. But I really pray that as we delve into the Bible and the Word of God, And as you do that at home in your own time, that you would really allow God's word to challenge you. Let's have a look at our Bible verse then. It's from Matthew 6, starting at verse 5. This is Jesus speaking. When you pray, 
Don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, get the idea there's a bit of a theme recurring here. Don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are merely answered by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need before you even ask him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sit against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. So what are the real prayer busters? Well, I believe that the first one is the image we have of God. The image we have of God. Right through that passage I just read, and especially in verse 9, it says, pray like this, our Father. Our Father. When your Father hears your prayers, when your Father sees you, our Father. And I believe that's such an important concept to develop in our mind. What is our image of God? None of us have a fully complete image of God. He's too big and our minds just cannot manage that. But I wonder if you had amazing artistic talent and uh, you were going to enter a, a portrait of God in the Archibald Prizes in Sydney, what would you draw? How would it be? Would it be the, you know, the old man with the white beard and the white hair and the robe um, you know, sitting on a throne? Um, what would be our image of God? If you've seen the movie The Shack or read the book, God's actually portrayed for most of the story as a woman, um, but also at times as a man. I was recently talking to um, someone who was sharing his image of Jesus, the Son of God. And uh, he was saying, often we think of this uh, um, person who was fairly thin and, you know, the long hair and the beard, um, such as your husband. Um, but, but this guy was saying he was a carpenter and there were, there were no power tools at the time. And the work would have been hard and heavy and he would have done a lot of lifting and a lot of cutting and sawing and it's all done by hand. And he said, I imagine this really buff, strong kind of person, like your husband. Um, and I thought, I hadn't thought of that before, you know. Would Jesus, you know, have guns of steel? I don't know. <laughs> but it started to make me think about what our image of, of uh, Jesus was and what's our image of God. But whatever it is, it's going to be incomplete. You know, we don't see the whole picture. And I think sometimes the incomplete image we have of God can be a prayer buster. You know, it could be that, that we see God as someone who um, is busy holding the universe together and busy with the big things of life. And um, why would he be concerned for me? You know, that's a prayer buster. That's a prayer buster. Whatever image you have of God, know that he is concerned for you. Jesus said in Matthew 10 that not a single sparrow falls to the ground 
without your father knowing it. So yes, he's the creator of the universe, but he has this intimate desire to know you. There's a New Zealand band called The Lads, and uh, they do kids and youth ministry. And uh, they have a song called My Best Friends, The Creator of the Universe. And I love that concept. Yes, he's the creator of the universe, but he can also be our best friend who's so concerned for our life. And our image of God can impact our attitude towards God. If we know that he's really interested in us, then our attitude towards us, towards God, might be one of affection or, or response. We want to respond to him, um, to trust him, to uh, endure through the hard times because he knows that uh, we know that he's got our backs. Um, it might be one of optimism for the future. And if we have that kind of attitude, we would want to spend time in prayer. If you know someone who's just that positive, bubbly, pleasant kind of person who's, who's always speaking into your life and knows, and you know that they, they have your interest at heart, you want to be with that person. You want to spend time. But if, on the other hand, our image of God leads to a negative impression, our attitude towards God might reflect that. It might be disappointment, uh, or sometimes even anger, or betrayal, or confusion, um, sadness, suspicion, or indifference and if that's the case why bother spending time in prayer you don't want to be with people who are negative like that that can be a prayer buster I was reading through uh, a psychology website about negative attitudes and it says that negativity can change the way you look at everything and keep you from enjoying many things that can bring you joy that's a prayer buster isn't it something that robs us of our time with God but also steals us of the joy that God has for us. The Bible gives us some guidance as to how we should view God. Back to verse 9 of the uh, chapter we were reading, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your name be kept holy. And I think that's a real clue towards the attitude we should have towards God. One of reverence, one of respect, knowing that he's pure, good, loving and created us for a real and deep relationship with him. And if we have that kind of attitude towards God, again we're going to want to have that time with him. But how can we be sure that we do have the right image of God in our mind? Well the disciples asked a similar question. In John chapter 14, Philip, one of the disciples, said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, probably rolling his eyes and hitting his forehead, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? So if you're unsure of who God is and if your image of God is correct then simply look to Jesus as an example if you have seen him you have seen the father real prayer buster number two the first is the image we have of God the second is and I'm going to use my fingers here the location in which we place God now we really can't physically put God in some kind of location but perhaps in our mind we can the bible says our father in heaven 
and maybe being like a heretic again, but I think our Father in heaven, if we have the wrong understanding of that, can be a prayer buster. That we think God is way out there. That heaven is some sort of mysterious place, a long, long, long way away, and that's where God is. But the Bible says heaven is within, and God is within. But where we place God, I think, determines how we think in terms of accessibility to God and how frequent we communicate. If it's a sense of distance, then perhaps we're not inclined to communicate too frequently. If it's a sense of closeness and with me on a daily basis, every step I take, then we are. Perhaps a better question, instead of where do we consider God to be in relation to us, is where are we in relation to God? I want to refer back to John Stott, whose quote I read a little while ago. He talked about what really brought him into a deep relationship of God. And he looks at the verse from Revelations chapter 3, verse 20, that says, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And we will share a meal together as friends. Isn't that a lovely image? Come on, God, let's sit down, have something to eat, and uh, let's have a bit of a chat. Um, This is from John Stott's um, biography. He writes, Here then is the crucial question which we've been leading up to. Have we ever opened our door to Christ? Have we ever invited him in? This was exactly the question which I needed to have put before me. For intellectually speaking, I believed in Jesus all my life on the other side of the door. I had regularly struggled to say my prayers through the keyhole. I had even pushed pennies under the door in a vain attempt to pacify him. I'd been baptised, yes, and confirmed as well. I went to church, read my Bible, had high ideals, and tried to be good and do good. But all the time... And often without realising it, I was holding Christ at arm's length and keeping him outside. I knew that to open the door might have momentous consequences, but I am profoundly grateful to him for enabling me to open the door. Looking back now, over more than 50 years, I realised that simple step has changed the entire direction, course and quality of my life. So where do we locate God? Is he on the other side of that closed door? If we keep someone at arm's length, of course we don't want to pray, we don't want to talk, we don't want to communicate. That's a real prayer buster. I was thinking about this and I thought it's a bit like when we go collecting for the red shield and many people here do that in, uh, at the end of May. We go at door knocking and uh, collecting money for the Salvation Army. It's a good thing to do. But... Uh, I'm sure you've experienced being held at arm's length on the side of a closed door. Now, there are times you knock on the door and it's absolute silence, but there's 16 cars in the driveway. And you think, oh, I know somebody's in there. Or other times you knock on the door and you see a little crack in the curtain and then the crack closes up again. Or you hear the sound of scurrying and then shh. Okay, we're not going to communicate today. So some of you have experienced that kind of thing and know what I'm talking about. But I wonder, do we do that to Jesus? 
you know, do we keep him at arm's length? Yes, I know you're there, have a little peek, and, uh, but we'll keep the door closed. I, I love Stott's expression of saying prayers through the keyhole. And uh, I love the image that, that creates where perhaps you're bending down and you sort of look through the keyhole and think, oh, yes, Jesus, I think you're in there. I just wanted to ask about such and such. And you're not even sure whether your muffled voice gets through the keyhole or whether the message has been understood. And if there's a return comment through the keyhole. Sorry, what did you say? And it seems silly. But that's how it can be sometimes if we keep God at arm's length and keep that door shut. And uh, we try and have our prayer through that keyhole. We've done our prayers. We get on with the rest of the day and we turn around and walk away from the door. But if we know that God is with us every step of the way, why wouldn't we be someone who never ceases to be a person of prayer? But if we truly know that God is with us all of the time, then we have to be aware that he knows what's going on around us and in us. That means from time to time, there's things in our life that have to be dealt with to prevent them from becoming prayer busters. When Jesus was teaching about prayer, he refers to forgiving others so that we too can be forgiven. He refers to restoring relationships so that we can be in a place where we can come before God with a clear conscience. In Matthew 5, 23 and 24, Jesus says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. So sometimes we have to understand that what's happening in our life can also be a prayer buster, that we've got to deal with that so that we can get back to God. Real prayer buster number three. The first is the image that we have of God. The second is the location in which we place God. I think the third prayer buster can be the manner in which we relate to God. The manner in which we relate to God. When you pray, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray, it's said time and time and time in the Bible. Not if you pray, if you get around to it, if you can find the time, but when you pray. Here's the challenge. You don't need to raise your hand. But think about this past week. And if we have a scale of prayerlessness through to prayerfulness, naught to a hundred, where would you be on that scale? You don't have to raise your hand. But be honest with yourself. In the past week, would that prayer scale be at zero? Would it be further along the scale? Do you walk through each day as a person of prayer in 100%? Where would you be on that scale when you pray? But quality time and the manner we relate to God is not just about a number. It's not just about time. When I think about quality prayer, I look back through this reading 
Jesus says, firstly, don't babble on. We don't need to repeat words over and over again. He knows what we need. But it can be a prayer buster if we feel that we can't eloquently express ourselves in prayer. That's fake news. It's a prayer buster. It's a mistake to think that we're not good at praying, so we won't pray. God just wants us to come and have a chat. When you think of quality and quality time, think about how you spend time with people who are close to you. You can be with those people and your communication can be fairly brief and short and about stuff rather than going any deeper. And you know that the relationships that are most valuable to you are the ones you can just open up your heart and say, hey, this is what's going on for me. These are the struggles I'm having. These are the joys. These are the disappointments. Uh, these are the things before me rather than just talking about you know, the nights one, three in a row. You know, go the nights. And I think our prayers can sometimes be like that. When you think about quality of your prayer life, think about the kind of topics that you have in prayer. There's lots of different kind of topics. There's the give me a break topics. That's the asking for favourable weather or needing that parking spot when the car park is really full or you know, may the traffic be flowing quickly on the way home. God, give me a break. I just need to do such and such. There are the daily bread prayers. And Jesus says, ask for our daily bread. Um, God, this is what I need. This is what I need from you. Then there's the Dr. Jesus prayers, you know, for healing. And I'm not saying we don't do that. It's important to pray for that kind of thing. There's the help me prayers when we're facing challenges. Um, there can be the Macca's drive-through prayers as well. Just quick grab and go rather than that full dining experience. Again, I'm going to sound a bit like a heretic. I think anything that's too focused on any one of those kind of prayers can become a prayer buster. If all of my prayers are just give me a break prayers, and we do pray for things for weather and for quick car trips and car parking places and that kind of thing, but if that's all I ever pray about, and I fool myself into thinking, yeah, I've been praying, been praying for this, this, this and this, but it's all about give me a break, I think it's a prayer buster because we're missing the depth and the breadth of what prayer can be. And we can fool ourselves into saying, but I do pray. I do pray. I always shoot off a quick prayer to God before I fall asleep at night. Good thing to do. But if that's all we ever do, it's a prayer buster. We are missing what God can have for us. What about your kingdom come prayers. God, what is it that you want me to do to bring your kingdom to earth? What about, God, how can I serve you today? Prayers. What about prayers for others who we know are in desperate need? What about prayers of praise and thanksgiving? Psalm 100 says to come into God's presence with thanksgiving in our hearts. To enter his courts with praise. I mean, how often do you just pray and say, God, I just want to spend some time thanking you for who you are and what you've done? I guess it's following on from what Jess was saying about um, our family investment time, just sharing how God's been good in our lives. How often do we come before him just with that as our agenda? So prayer is, is rich, it's broad, it's deep, it's all encompassing. 
And if we're just eating one slice of the prayer pie, then I think that's a prayer buster. Jesus, of course, was our example regularly drawing aside from the busyness of life and having time with God. And even when surrounded by crowds and about to perform a miracle, at times he would pray to God. He didn't let anything come before that time of prayer. As I start to wrap up, we've looked at three real prayer busters. The image we have of God, the location in which we place God, the manner in which we relate to God. There's a possible fourth one. I think a fourth prayer buster, or maybe it's 3.5, but a possible fourth one can be our expectation of God. Our expectation of God. The Bible says in that verse we read from Matthew 6 that God will reward us. That if we're praying, God will reward us. And I think the buster in that can be if we expect a certain reward. God, I'm praying, but you are not doing this. You're not fulfilling your part of the bargain. God, I'm disappointed. You know, I've been praying for this for a long time and it hasn't happened. I think the reward could be in witnessing a particular result of our prayers. But more than that, I think the reward is a deep and closer and more personal relationship with God. That's what prayer can give. That's the real reward. And if we start to think of other rewards coming our way, I think it can be a prayer buster as well. I started the message by asking what you like to do at this time of the year and what might be busters for that. I enjoy bike riding. And if I can get in a 30-minute ride a few times a week in the morning or late in the afternoon, then that's a bonus. But five minutes around the block once in a while won't cut it. It's like prayer. A short little prayer just won't cut it. What I aim for is a few little rides through the week, but on a Saturday or Sunday morning, I like to go out for a couple of hours. And I know what the busters for that bike ride can be, and I know what to do about it. One is the weather. I do look ahead, and if it's going to be raining on Saturday morning, I think I'll ride early Sunday morning, vice versa. Or uh, if it looks like it's going to be raining in the mornings but clearing in the afternoon, I'll uh, try and schedule my days so I can do that. If I know it's going to be an early one and I don't mind going out at five in the morning, then I'll be in bed early um, or even hope to um, schedule in an afternoon snooze and catch up. The night before I go for a ride, I'll check the tyres, make sure that I haven't had a, a puncture or a slow leak at the end of the last ride. I don't know. And I get up in the morning and suddenly find the tyres flat. So I've got time to fix that tyre before I get up the next morning. I'll even get my clothes ready the night before. Now, I've got to admit, there could be some lycra involved in that. But I know that if I'm rattling around in the wardrobe in the morning, I'll disturb Jane. So I'll get the things that I need, put them in another room so I can even get changed out there. I'll make sure that my water bottle is filled so I'm not running the tap in the morning and people complain at house, you were running the tap and we could hear it through the house and so forth. I've got a headlight and a tail light and they're rechargeable. I'll put them on to charge. I'll put my phone on to charge the night before as well to make sure that if there is any problem, I can ring and, uh, and get some help 
If there's been a fault with the bike, I'll get it fixed pretty promptly. If I can do it myself, I will. If not, I'll get to the bike shop and get a repair. And while I'm at the, like, at the bike shop, I like to browse around and see what are the latest gizmos and gadgets that might enhance my riding experience. So these are definite strategies that I have in place just so I can reach my goal of having a longer ride on a weekend. I'm very intentional about it. Do I do that for prayer? I've got to be honest. I probably don't put that much time into making sure that my prayer times happen. Do you? There's a few mornings I do set aside, but sometimes even so it doesn't happen. Sometimes I get to the end of the day and I, I want to kick myself for missing that chance to pray or just not flicking over to that attitude of prayer when I've been wrestling through something. Do I physically get on my knees? The passage in the Bible talks about fasting. How often do I fast and pray? How often do I take time to think what are going to be the prayer busters for me this coming day or this coming week and intentionally work to counteract that so I can pray no matter what? That's my real challenge. Perhaps it's yours as well. Could we have the challenge cards distributed, please? The challenge for the day is this, for, sorry, for the week, is this. Each day, reread Matthew 6, verses 5 to 18, that's the passage we read, and ask God to reveal any prayer busters in your life. To identify them. You might read that passage and you might get something more out of it than what I've spoken about this morning. There's so much in there. But what are the things that prevent you from praying? But more than just identifying them, ask God how to deal with them. How can you counteract them? How can you make sure you don't have a flat tyre, that the weather's going to be favourable? And set yourself a firm goal. Read the passage, ask God to reveal prayer busters, how to deal with them and set a goal. Do that on a daily basis. Remember our verse, pray without ceasing. There's the challenge for the week. I want to finish by reading um, a verse from Psalms. And uh, I was reflecting on this through the week. And uh, I think this is the kind of thing that can really help us um, in our prayer and um, busting the busters. Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. I've been quite um, heretical perhaps already and I wanted to, <laughs> I say that in jest, I say that in jest. I want to just change the words of that, um, that psalm a little bit as well as we finish and make it relevant to, uh, to prayer. 
And I want this to be our, our concluding prayer for, uh, for the message now. So let's pray. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my attitudes towards you and how they affect my prayers. God, point out anything that is a prayer buster and what I can do about it as I become a person who never ceases to pray. Lead me along the path into deep joy. Amen. Let's bust the prayer busters. Thanks, Jess.